Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Selective Hearing. My guest this week is Jonathan Royal, and we are going to talk about some pretty cool stuff. I'm still on theme of what we always discuss as far as healing and, you know, things to help us adapt new mindsets and make us better. I think that you are going to be very excited for this conversation, just like me, because we're going to discuss some really fun stuff today. Before I get started, I would love to give you the floor, Jonathan, so you can share your story with all of us. Okay, thanks, Julie. Yeah, I'm going to say right up front that I am aware certain things that have occurred in my life to people hearing them for the first time can sound, there's only one way to put it, batshit crazy. So I have a web page. There's nothing for sale on it. There's no trying to get your email address, nothing like that. It's pure purpose is to give you photographic and video evidence and links to third party websites like newspapers, government archives and whatnot that will confirm what we talk about during our conversation if anything seems a bit too batshit crazy for you. And you can find all of that at Magical Guru, M-A-G-I-C-A-L-G-U-R-U.co.uk, including embarrassing photos you can have a laugh at. Now, in about 60 seconds, you'll realise why I said that at the start. Yes, we are going to talk about hypnosis. Yes, no doubt you can ask me whatever you want about using the mind to help us heal mind, body, spirit and soul. However, the big question is, how did I get into all this? The shortest version I can give you, I'm happy to expand on anything you want afterwards, but the shortest version is I was born on a circus while my parents were travelling with the circus here in England. Um, I was born on the 13th of August, 1975. At the age of three and a bit in November time, 1978, I became Britain's, actually Europe's at the time, possibly the world's, but I'm not sure about that, but definitely England and Europe's youngest professional paid circus clown as Flat the Clown, with a big stupid grey wig, red nose, the clown's makeup, the embarrassing photos are at that web link. And I started getting featured in national newspapers and England. Again, these are the kinds of things that are at that web page to, to back up the craziness because the craziness, everything was crazy. To me, it seemed normal because that's what I was brought up in. Give you some ideas about the craziness. At the age of four, I was playing hide and seek with the other kids off the circus and I went and hid underneath one of the trailers, one of the caravans. Except I didn't realise that that was the lion tamer's caravan. And underneath it, chained up, was a baby puma. P-U-M-A. Puma as in the wild cat. And as a result, I'm not sure if it's visible, but there's kind of an area that's got a line that I can normally see, which that is claw mark scars, and I've got them down my back. And this ear, my left ear, which I now, when I haven't got uh, headphones in, normally wear a hearing aid, was ripped off and had to be surgically reattached. And basically, if it had been a couple of minutes longer before the line tamer heard me screaming and managed to come and save me, that would have been it. I, I would have died um, back in 1978. So that was the first near life, or rather near death experience and first traumatic experience because traumas are more relevant to whether or not you can use your mind to keep your body healthy. At the age of five, we had chimpanzees, and yeah, I do mean the monkeys, come and perform with the circus that year. And they weren't just any old chimpanzees. These were the chimpanzees that were making the adverts for British television to promote a tea, um, as in 
having a cup of tea. Tea company, and the tea company was called Brook Bond Tea, and they had um, a brand of tea called PG Tips. And if anyone wants to search Google, especially people in America who may never have seen the adverts, you'll see that if you book PG Tips chimpanzees or uh, tea advert chimpanzees, you'll get the ads up and they dress the chimps like humans and they dub voices over them and they, they were comical ads, which obviously they happened in the 70s and 80s and then somebody saw sense by the early 90s and went, ooh, no, 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 stop doing this. This is not good for the animals. But the relevance to me is that they were performing on the circus at the same time as me. And as I was leaving the circus ring or the stage, depending on whether we were in the circus or in a theatre with the show, as I'd walk back with my dad, well, rather I was walking to the side of the stage or to what they call the ring doors ready to do our next bit on the show. The chimpanzees had been on before the act that was on before us. They're making their way back to their dressing room with the chimp trainer, Billy Day who's holding two of them by the hands. Well, actually, three or four of them, two on either side. And every day, two shows a day, six days a week, our paths crossed. My dad would say, hi, Billy, to the chimp trainer. And he'd go, you all right, Tiz? My dad's clown name was Tizzy the Clown. And in that very moment, that very second, that very moment of distraction, when nobody was looking, whichever one of the chimps was nearest to me used to whack me around the side of the head. Twice, twice a day, six days a week. And apparently I used to cry, oh, Dad, they've done it again. Now, I've grown up and I've found out that chimps are that strong that had they meant any malice, they've got enough strength that they'd probably been able to knock me unconscious. They were probably just actually playing because I was like nearly five and roughly about the same height as them. But obviously to me, it didn't make sense. I was just getting, as tough as it sounds, in my head as a five-year-old, that would have been that I was getting bullied by chimpanzees twice a day, six days a week. So that definitely would have got labelled down as another traumatic um, incident into the old personal laptop computer, the unconscious subconscious mind, which is what runs the programmes that control us in life. And then things went from bad to worse, because my mum, thinking she was going to give me a, a, you know, a more normal, whatever that means, kind of life, decided that she wanted to get a house and settle down so that I could go to one school instead of travelling town to town and then my dad would carry on with the circus and I'd just go and join him at weekends, in the evening, school holidays, you know, that kind of thing. So at the age of six and a bit, I started at this school where my mum had got this house, but I was still appearing in the media because I was still doing shows. And when the teachers saw that I was appearing in the media, one particular article was in a newspaper called The Daily Mirror in England and it, the headline was Alex, which is my birth name, but I'm known better now as Jonathan Royal Hypnotist and back then I was known better as Flap the Clown. But the headline was Alex the Circus Six It. And that article's on the webpage I mentioned earlier for people that want to have a look at it. And the teacher suddenly became very vindictive towards me. Now, my only way to logic that out as an adult looking back is these newspaper articles made mention of the fact that I was getting paid and given my age a sizable amount of money for the age I was. And therefore, on a pro rata basis, I was earning more an hour than the teacher's. But I wasn't working as often as them. But nonetheless, if they got their heads around this idea that I was earning more per hour, perhaps it caused jealousy. God knows. All I know is they made my life a living hell. So much so that I begged to go to another school. The trouble is, there weren't any more schools within several miles of the village that we were living in. And my mum didn't have um, a car at the time. It took until I was just about eight years old for us to move somewhere else. And then I did get to go to another school. And I'm glad to say... Any bullying or persecution from teachers stopped that very moment. The teachers there were absolutely fantastic. So this seemed like the light at the end of the tunnel until I started appearing in the media again. Now, the teachers were fantastic and supportive of it, but loads of the other pupils started to uh, bully me on the basis that 
it's not obvious because I keep it short on purpose, but I have got bright ginger hair, as you can see on the pictures of that website. That was a target for bullying. The fact that I was pretty much deaf in this ear, my other ear didn't have fantastic hearing because of the, you know, the, the puma incident and, and problems from getting whacked around the head twice a day by chimps, actually, as well. Who knows? Plus, appearing in the media, you know, I was, they could tell you know, I was a circus clown and I was a circus family, I was the odd one out. So I got verbally bullied daily. And on some occasions, certainly a couple of times a week, physically hit or whatever, but it was mainly verbal at that time. Now, there's people who say sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. And that's the biggest load of excuse the language bullshit ever. Negative words. Words can be like weapons. And especially with repetition, day after day after day, they can dig deeper and deeper and deeper. So, you know, if, if you've been the victim of verbal negativity, bullying, call it what you will, and other people have gone, oh, grow up or get over it. It's just words. No, it's not your fault. These things dig deep and the, the wounds can go frigging deep and cause long-term issues. And they did. And it had a very negative effect on my mental health. The only time that I felt truly alive or loved or valued in any way was when I was performing and an audience would clap at the right times or laugh at the right times because that was like saying yeah you're good at this so it made me feel good but at other times when I'm at school you know I've got all these people telling me I'm the odd one out um, there's something wrong with me because I've got ginger hair or because I can't hear properly or because I come to the kind of family I do all these things just piling on top of each other making me feel like shit and I keep using the word shit or, or crap or things for reasons we'll come to later but my book's called Shit Gnosis there is a theme so I get to about 12 years of age, well, just before I was 12, the daily repetition of this negativity has got so bad and I feel so, it's had such a negative effect on my self-esteem and just everything. But it was about winter, fall time, the end of the year when it gets darker quicker in the evenings. And I thought if I lay down in the busiest road in Haywood, the traffic wouldn't be able to see me because there were no street lamps there. And it just, uh, well, that everything without being too graphic could be over and done within next to no time. So I did lie down in the middle of that road that was practically impossible to cross. It was always whoosh, 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 whoosh traffic. And lo and behold, I got a moment to get into the road to lie down and then where's the traffic? And I'm lying there thinking, where's the traffic? And it seemed like forever. Now, I've learned as I've grown up that time is a weird thing. You know, you can bump into a friend you've not seen for years, go for a coffee with them and suddenly look at your watch thinking you've been talking to them for 10 minutes and realise you've been sat there for an hour and a half or something. And conversely, if you've got, say, a job appraisal with your boss, you can go in answering these questions, being grilled and walk out thinking you've been in there for half an hour or longer and look at your watch and it's only been five minutes. So the time's elastic, but also you can go quicker and shorter. So I honestly can't tell you how long I was laying that road for. It felt like ages, but it might have only been 30 seconds, a minute. I, I, I don't know. All I know is that I got fed up of waiting and I stood up and started making my way back to the pavement or sidewalk as you say in the States and the moment my first foot touched the sidewalk I heard this whoosh and I felt this ma massive backdraft and I turned at an angle and I saw a massive articulated lorry had just whooshed past and then it was followed by various vans then cat and the traffic was exactly as I knew it to be non-stop and in that moment I, I shit myself I thought 
frigging hell, that was close. But also it gave me a strange moment of clarity that there must be a better way to, to deal with this. And that moment of clarity, I can only kind of compare to, I've since seen stories of people online who have tried to end it all by jumping off multi-story buildings or out of multi-story buildings and that have survived, albeit quite often with life-changing injuries, but all the ones that have survived have said, consistently said that what pushed them to jump off or out of that multi-story building was too many different negativities and things piling up that they felt they just couldn't handle it all and they had too many problems. But that the moment they jumped out of or off the multi-story building and they're heading towards the ground they realized they only had one problem only one and that's the fact they just jumped off that multi-story building and it kind of i don't i don't know how to describe it all i know is that in that moment i thought there's got to be a better way so i started my quest to find a way to heal those traumas that i'd had growing up and i've only scraped the surface there was bullying you know there was road traffic accidents there was all manner of things but these have obviously piled up and there were things that i was probably not even consciously aware of as we'll talk about later because there's things that happen to us as kids that we're not even consciously aware of but they can still have a traumatic effect on us that kind of freezes in time and gets into your unconscious subconscious mind and can still be affecting you now as adults so by this point my hobby money that i was earning from performing as a clown i was spending on magic tricks conjuring tricks and that was my hobby. Around this time period, I decided to refuse to do any more clown shows with my dad because I thought that's why I was one of the reasons I was getting bullied. So I figured if I stopped doing them, then they couldn't bully me for being a clown. However, they just decided to bully me when they saw me in the papers uh, going, oh, you think you're special because you're in the paper because you're you know, you're, you're doing these magic shows. But I still needed to do shows because I wanted an audience's applause. It made me feel worthwhile. But in the library, and I was allowed in the adult library where we work and my magic skills progress so much, where the magic books were under the sports and pastime section just to the side under the Dewey library decimal uh, library and book numbering system which is the same worldwide so it'll be the same in the states near where sports and pastimes is just to the side of it this one day I discovered were the self-help and popular psychology books and I saw a book spine and it said how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie and I in a moment it was like a light bulb I thought that's it if I read that if I can influence the bullies and turn them into friends or at the very least just influence them to not bully me that solved that, that that's the solution so I got the book I read it I studied it and I tried it out and spoiler alert it's a fantastic book for adults to use with applied common sense in an environment with other adults but for a 12 year old trying to use it on other 12 year olds doesn't particularly work very well and if anything I think it probably made things worse but it had at least introduced me to that section of the library and a few weeks later I saw another book and that was called something along the lines of The Power of Auto-Suggestion by Emile Couet, a French guy who was one of the founders of behaviorism psychology and he was arguably the founder of what we now call the law of attraction or self-hypnosis or positive mind programming all of those things because he he was famous for the phrase day by day in every way I'm getting better and better and studies have been done on that self-affirmation if you kind of say it to yourself 15 times which is a multiple of three the odd number purpose being that you've got your conscious mind and you've got the critical faculty analytical area or executive function or as I like to refer to it the sort of nightclub doorman of the mind that goes no you're not coming in or no you're not coming out of the final bit which is the unconscious subconscious uh, imagination or personal laptop computer first time it's kind of heard here 
second time, the doorman goes, nah. Through the repetition, it gets bored and the critical faculty, doorman, call it what you will, goes on a coffee break, metaphorically, so that then it can get into the unconscious subconscious and reprogram your personal laptop computer and through repetition every day in the morning, just when you've woken up, when you open your eyes, but you're still a bit, oh dear. Well, that's called the hypnopompic state. That's when that nightclub doorman, the critical faculty analytical area has not come on duty yet. So you can really get those suggestions in. And at night time, just before you go to sleep, when you've been yawning and you close your eyes and you start to feel, if you do it then as well, again, the nightclub doorman's kind of gone home for the day. So you can get those things in without resistance and through repetition of days and weeks, you know, after a month, you look back and you go, wow, I actually do feel much better than I did a month ago. But because it happens incrementally day by day, it's not till you kind of stand back after a month and look back that you realise that you've actually moved forward. And it did help me a lot. To, to with resilience and to feel better but it didn't stop the bullying that was still happening uh, and it was still causing you know frozen in time mini traumas which I'll talk about later so I kept studying and I found other books by the same guy Emil Kue and he talked about a thing called the law of reversed effort or in modern day terms neurolinguistic programming refers to it as what resists persists the idea that you get more of what you focus on in life so if you keep saying to yourself I'm not going to be poor anymore I'm going to get richer every day. Just the fact that you've said, I'm not going to be poor anymore, is telling your mind that you currently are poor. So it's entertaining the idea that it's possible you could remain that way. So you're more likely to remain that way than actually getting richer. Whereas if it was rephrased into day by day in every way, I continue to get slowly but positively richer because you can't have it like you're suddenly overnight rich because your mind knows that's not true. And it would resist it on the basis of being invalid. It's got to be credible to be accepted for the critical faculty to let it pass and then for the repetition to to get to the point where the critical faculty analytical area executive function whichever name you want to give it goes I've heard this before I'm not even going to try and stop it going in because there's no evidence that this isn't true as far as I'm aware it is true at which point then it will have even more impact and grow positively in the direction you want it to there was another principle talked about in that book um, that I call the Yoda principle because it reminds me of Star Wars where Yoda's training Luke Skywalker Skywalker, uh, you know, he goes, Luke, because Luke Skywalker says he'll try to hit this thing that they're practicing with. And Yoda says, Luke, do not try, do or do not. There is no try. Um, the point being that when you say you'll try to do something, you're giving your mind the suggestion it's possible you may fail. An everyday example people can probably relate to is if you invite somebody to a party and they say, I'll try and get there. Invariably, they don't show up. Nine times out of ten. There's the odd exception, but, you know, if people say, you know, I'll do my very best to get there, there's more chance of them getting there. But if they say I'll try, invariably they don't because the mind's entertaining the idea it's not going to happen. And it's also something that I discovered when I got into stage hypnosis. Stage hypnotists will get people to put their hands together, lock their fingers together and squeeze them together and imagine that it's almost as if the world's strongest super glue is blocking, gluing, welding, cementing, bolting them together. Now try to separate your hands. And the more you try, the more they lock. Well, that word try is implying the possibility to the person's laptop computer, unconscious, subconscious mind, imagination, call it what you will, that it's possible that the hands may have locked. And when their mind takes hold of that seed of an idea, it can grow and become their reality so that they find that they're unable to separate their hands till the hypnotist says, it's okay, you can separate your hands now. I learned these things. And one final thing I learned in that book, and these together prove life-changing and brought me to where I am today, ultimately, is a thing called pattern interrupts. And the idea of that is, 
that human beings, when we go into a, a situation, um, our brain very quickly analyzes what's going on, searches through the, our personal filing cabinet, the laptop computer, and tries to find a time we've been in a similar situation, and pulls out the correct filing card and goes, aha, this is this type of situation, your way to react is like this. So it's okay, you can feel calm, or, oh, no, you need to get out of this, it's dangerous, or you've got to be nice, or you've got to be assertive. It looks at past experiences, but this all happened in a split second in your mind. So if I came, if I met you and put my hand out like that, and I'm smiling, so I'm obviously not coming to hit you or anything, put my hand out like that. In most countries in the world, most cultures, there are some exceptions where this would be seen rude, as rude actually, but in the vast majority of Western civilization, if I was to put my hand out like that, your automatic response filing cabinet would go, saying hello to me, shaking of hands, your hand would come up, almost without you consciously thinking about it, hands would connect and it'd be, hi, nice to meet you, my name's Jonathan, hi, I'm Julie, and things would just continue and that would fitted the expectation, the pattern that was in the memory banks of your computer. Computer. But if, as I do sometimes in my work as a hypnotist, I put my hand out like that and you came towards it because your pattern says this is handshake time. But as my hand gets close by, instead of taking your hand and shaking it like that, I grabbed your wrist, turned your hand round and started bringing it towards your face. As I said, and as you stare at your hand, your eyes start to get heavy and tired and your eyes close down. And, and I've said various other things that I won't hear in case anyone's driving. I don't want them I could turn that into a hypnotic induction process because very rapidly, because it hadn't fitted the pattern of what you expected and interrupted that pattern, disrupted that pattern, it would cause an element of confusion and disorientation in your conscious mind. And that disorientation and confusion, sensory overload, would also distract the nightclub doorman, the critical faculty, analytical area of executive function, meaning that any suggestion I would give you, for example, sleep, relax, and then go into therapy or whatever, could go straight into the personal laptop computer that is really what's running the show. So I literally had learnt these things and I went to sleep. And to this day, I, from when I was young to this day, I still kind of go to sleep with things running around and I wake up and I've, I've got solutions to things. And I woke up this morning, I thought, you know what? I was living in a world then that I'd just started high school and the school bully daily would pin me against the wall, give me a lot of verbal abuse while their entourage gang were laughing away. Then he'd hit me, let go of me, walk off while they're all laughing. So I had nothing to lose. I thought, sod it. And I put all these things together. And the next day, as that hand started coming towards my throat, I immediately said, why don't you effing, I was swearing, I'm just censoring this, why don't you effing stop wasting my time and your time? Why don't you just effing hit me if you're going to hit me? Go on, try, try and hit me now. Go on, do it, hit me now, try and hit me. And I just started granting, try and hit me, try and hit me. At that moment, they did manage to connect to my throat, but it wasn't as hard as it used to be. And I suddenly realised, as I kept saying, just try and hit me. For those who may see this on video, their eyes kind of suddenly went, and their face. And that to me, I went, oh, I think this is what the book was about. Confusion and disorientation is taking place. Sensory overload. So I started shouting, try and hit me more and more and louder. And then suddenly they let go of me turned to their gang and said, follow me, fellas. And as they were walking off, they just looked back at me and went, don't you effing ever come near me again. But still with this dazed look of confusion, like what the hell has just gone on? And needless to say, I never went near them. From that bully, at least, because I'm not saying that's cured everything, but in terms of that particular bully, they never did anything ever again after that day. And that was the day I realised that words, on the one hand, can be weapons that wound, but they can also be life-changing.
I then encountered books on self-hypnosis in the same section of the library. When I was 13 and a bit, I saw an advert in a magazine that said, train to be a clinical hypnotherapist, help people overcome their habits, addictions, fears, phobias, panic attacks, depression, and related things. And the depression word caught my mind because I felt depressed a lot of the time because of the, you know, the the bullying I'd had and being the odd one out and not having friends. And But then also underneath it said, and also learned the secrets of the comedy stage hypnotist to entertain people and be the life and soul of the party. And I thought, oh, entertainment, where I feel good because I get applause. So I got the prospectus. I paid what in 19, late 1988, early 1989 was £125 to United Kingdom sterling, which at the exchange rate as it was back then, not as it is now, was the equivalent to roughly 250 United States dollars. Now that was back in 1919, 19, not 98, sorry, 1988, to put it in perspective. So that was a fair amount of money, especially as only 13 and a bit, but I used money I'd earned off my magic shows to buy this course. And then I took the course correspondence exam but I lied about my age because I knew that I figured you know it, it said you had to be 18 but I passed but then I realized I've got a problem here if anyone ever finds out that I'm not 18 so I had to come clean with Dr Brian Howard at uh, the Association of Professional Hypnotherapists and uh, Psychotherapists who ran the course and at first he was very angry at me because I'd lied about my age and I said well you'd never have you'd have never accepted the course would you and he went this is true I said well there you go then but in the end he said well the fact is you did the course you did the exams you did the essays you you, you passed with flying colours so he issued me a new certificate with my correct date of birth on which again the website I mentioned earlier all these proof behind these things are there so in 1989 when I actually passed the exam and had it awarded I'd turned 14 I'd just turned 14 when I got awarded it I became the youngest ever member of the Association of Professional Hypnotherapists and Psychotherapists and so impressed I was by that course and what it taught in a number of years later when I overcame one fatal mistake and I'll tell you that what that mistake was in a second a number of years later I was so impressed I did a Victor Kayam that guy who um, used to do the TV adverts I was so impressed by the razor the shaver that I bought the company well I did the same with the APHP and now at my website ultimatehypnosiscourse.com as part of the training I do to teach people to become clinically qualified accredited world-class hypnotherapist and mind therapy practitioners as part of that is in included the exact training course that I took back in 1988 because I was so impressed by it that I got I, I, I bought the rights to it and, that, and that's how I got to where I am today by starting that's the path that led to learning this stuff unfortunately I made one massive error I alluded to and that is when I learned all this stuff I felt so good about having learned it all that I forgot to use it on myself for a number of years so ironically from the age of 14 till I was almost 20 I'm helping people overcome their habits, addictions, fears, phobias, panic attacks, you name it. And that makes me feel really good. So it's that that making me feel good. I did feel, you know, it dissipated. And in terms of balancing out negative to positive feelings in life, it was vastly improved on what it used to be. But it wasn't perfect yet. And it clearly wasn't perfect because I'd not dealt with the underlying little traumas that were still running in that personal computer, like viruses on a laptop that had not been deleted. Because as Emil Kuwe says in, uh, in that book I read, actually, he says, when 
the human will or conscious mind is in conflict with the imagination, aka your laptop computer, your unconscious subconscious mind. The imagination will always win. So it doesn't matter how much conscious effort you put into stopping smoking or losing weight. People regularly relapse and go back to it because they've not deleted the mini traumas or the negative programs that are running in their unconscious mind that end up causing those relapses. And I hadn't done that. So I ended up addicted to cocaine, cannabis, uh, drinking too much alcohol, gambling addictions, hedonism, sexual addiction. I was a fully functioning individual helping people improve their lives for the better. But then at the end of the day, I, I was going and drinking, smoking, taking drugs and, uh, and spending way more money than I was earning, which was mental because I, I was earning above average at the time. I was nearly 20 and I woke up one day and this is how it happened, as bizarre as it sounds. I walk up and I've got this hangover and I realise, oh, F's sake, am I going to do this again? It's like Groundhog Day. Am I going to go help other people, earn loads of money, go out, do a show, earn some more money and then go and just get completely slaughtered and off my face? Why don't I just use any? It's like, it never crossed my mind before. Why don't I use the techniques to helping these other people on myself? So I started to use the techniques to release these frozen in time mini traumas, which I'll talk about shortly, that we all get, whether we're consciously aware of it or not, so that they could be released. So the amygdala in the brain could process them, let them go, and let go of any self-blame, shame, guilt, regret, frustration, fear, failure, anger, anxiety, anguish, resentment, regret, or remorse that might have been dwelling around in that computer slowing it down and holding me back and i metaphorically installed positive mental antivirus software for the personal laptop computer the brain to protect myself so that there wouldn't be a relapse or symptom substitution and lo and behold what a bloody life changing it literally was a case of letting all the shit of the past go which is why i call my book shit gnosis helping you get over the shit in your life and get your shit together. It was like, I know this sounds crude, but the first chapter of this book says, are you emotionally constipated? And I liken it to when you've been constipated and eventually you get to go to the toilet, what a relief you feel. Now, that might sound a bit crude or a bit vulgar going on about toilet habits, but think of it the same way. You can be emotionally constipated, have blockages there that are holding you back that you're not even consciously aware of. But once they're released, it is literally metaphorically like a huge weight being lifted off your shoulders that allows you the freedom to move forward. And that's what the entire subject of my book is. It's basically every technique that I've used over the past 30 odd years to help other people, but more important, I also finally used it on myself so that then I could get over my habits, addictions, and the things that were holding me back and get rid of those traumas from growing up. I, I suppose I'm, if anything, I'm, I'm somewhat, I'm almost evangelical but in a non-religious sense but in just the literal meaning of the word about spreading the word of how when you look back on it having done it how easy it can be to let go of all the negative shit it isn't when you do it at the time because you've got to accept the fact that you've gone through that shit that you're walking around with shit running in there the first step of acceptance and realization is the hardest the next hard step is actually to do something because you know it's all well and good me sitting here saying this book could change your life. And it could. But buying it and reading it is going to do sweet FA for you. Other than occupy some time for you and give you some nice ideas. But if you don't apply those ideas, those principles, those techniques into your everyday life with positive intent, with repetition, then nothing's going to happen. If you keep doing what you've always done, you'll keep getting what you've always got. So you've actually got to take action. Although I have tried to make it, I said tried, negative word, but in this context, just about acceptable. Uh, because 
of the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Well, I've endeavoured to provide everything to help people to actually go and take a drink. So there's tons of these things, QR codes in the book at various places that basically you can take your mobile phone or any other electronic device, scan one of the QR codes and whatever technique it's teaching you in that chapter, scan the QR code and up I'll pop on a video and I would demonstrate the technique to you and break it down visually because some people don't learn properly from just reading. Some people need to see it demonstrated or hear it or be talked through it and guided through it. So by giving you every possible sensory option of learning the techniques and figuring that that massively increases the chances that more people who get this will actually be able to put them into action and actually benefit from them rather than going, oh, that reads like it might be a good idea, but I haven't fully understood it. Well, that's when you scan the QR code. And also one other thing I, without wishing to sound big-headed, but think I've done with this book that most self-help books don't do is that I've given two sets of techniques in each chapter so there's because some people are emotionally driven creative types the kind of people who are um kind of left-handed and right-brained although that's a stereotype that tends to make them more creative and then there's more people who are more logical and analytical well techniques for logical analytical people are not going to work very well on creative types or spiritual types and techniques for spiritual creative types aren't going to work very well for logical times. And some books out there are only full of techniques for one. So what I've done is provided different techniques or different ways of using the same technique so that it will be more accepted by your specific type of the way your brain works. It's the best way I can say it as a metaphor. So yeah, in a rather long-winded manner for which I apologise, Julie, that is how I got doing this as a career, why I've been doing it for several decades of my life since, and I'm 48 this August, so that puts it in perspective on the timescale, and what's driven me to the point to feel that I had enough experience personally helping myself and also helping other people to put together a book that I feel is probably the best 17 United States dollars or 15 pound United kingdom sterling anyone can ever spend because it's not just a book it's like having me there with you because of all the qr code videos where it's like interactive therapy sessions online and the only blank i haven't filled in there before you ask me the questions and i'm sure you've got tons of them is i mentioned mini traumas what did i mean by mini traumas what i meant is this okay i'd noticed from my training with APHP and my experience of helping other clients, what the, everyone, whatever their issue was, whether it was a habit addiction, fear of phobia, panic attack, anxiety, uh, health complaint, chronic pain, it didn't matter. There was one consistent thing with everybody. When the treatment worked for them, when they were truly ready for change, when they believed it would work for them, when they expected it to work for them, when all the things like the placebo effect kicked in, what really the underpinned all of the treatments working is that I realised, and it's what I call in the book in the chapter i do emotionally constipated i refer to it as royals uh, hierarchy of emotional needs all of us as human beings need to feel notice i said need to not necessarily want to because we're not always consciously aware of it but need to feel loved wanted needed appreciated cared for cherished and valued now as i say them they probably all sound very similar to viewers and listeners but if you get a thesaurus and check out the meanings loved wanted needed appreciated cared for cherished and valued they all actually mean very different things and some are related to self-confidence some to self-image 
some to self-esteem, some to self-control, aka willpower. So if there's any imbalance in any one of those seven things, even if it's only a tiny little chip, although most people in life have had chips in various of them at varying levels, then there's going to be an imbalance. And if there's an imbalance, it's going to have a negative impact on your self-confidence, your self-image, your self-esteem, and or your self-control. It might be all of them or it might be some of them. Even just some of them, it's still an imbalance and that will have a negative impact on your self-respect, your self-love, your self-worth and your positive selfishness. And by that, I mean being able to look after yourself fully to then be able to be of use to anyone else. And if there's been any negative impact on them, it will ultimately ne negatively impact on your sense of self, your self-identity who you are, the real you, and it will leave people metaphorically feeling like there's something missing, there's a gap. And some people want to fill that gap with religion. Some people want to go to the gym too often. Some people want to drink to drown out the feeling that something's missing. Some want to smoke to create a smoke screen. Some take drugs to literally try and get out the head and escape the feelings. I know they're all metaphors, but it kind of is what's going on. When there's something missing, it just doesn't feel right. And, and we have to find something to fill up that area. Well, then that is how habits, addictions or fears manifest or panic attacks or anxiety. I go into it in more depth in the book, shit noses. However, the key understanding to take from this is that to reverse it is to, to change it, is to reverse it, is to overcome it. So my key thing I do with clients, although now I prefer to do it virtually through the videos that are in this book, because um, I can reach a wider audience and people who can't afford $500 for a therapy session. I'm not stopping them smoking. I'm not getting them off cocaine. I'm not stopping their panic attacks or their phobias. I'm not helping them overcome depression. Although the outcome of the work and the techniques I will teach them and help them through is that will be a positive side effect of it. Yeah. But what I'm actually doing is helping reprogram their net positive net computer to remove any mini traumas, to delete any crap and self-blame, shame, guilt and regret they may have been walking around with and not even aware of, to install that metaphoric antivirus software for the brain and to make them feel loved, wanted, needed, appreciated, cared for, cherished and valued, so that boom, it balances out their self-confidence, self-image, self-esteem and self-control, so that bang, their self... Uh, love, self-worth, self-respect and positive selfishness is balanced out so that bang, boom, that gap that was there in their self-identity feels as though it's been positively filled up and they feel whole again. They feel worthwhile. The little voice in their head starts saying, yeah, you can do this. You've got this. Stick at it. You're worthy rather than giving them that imposter syndrome. You're not good enough or, or whatever that so many people walk around with. So that's one large section. The other is the mini traumas, which is this. You have to heal 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 we'll try and say it again you have to heal the um the child within you um it, now it's a metaphor and it is and it's just a way of doing an important seeming ritualistic process it is i admit that however our unconscious subconscious minds work on abstract imagery that's why when we dream we sometimes get crazy images so that is why it is worthwhile helping your inner baby your inner child to heal and I outline a process and I talk you through it and teach you with the QR codes that also involves the Hawaiian uh, love and forgiveness rituals, Hopper 
I can never say this right. Open, open, no, 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 that I've not said it right. I, For those I, people screaming, I haven't heard of it. Right, right. Well, it's spelled H O O P O N O P O N O. It's the Hawaiian love and forgiveness ritual. Hopanono, Hopanono. Something like that. I apologise for the people who can say it properly. The point of it is, it's a, a self-affirmation process where you, um, you're kind of in a meditative state, say to yourself, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. Now, if you say those things to yourself several times in a row, even just with your eyes closed, it is actually bizarrely a very powerful moving thing to do. It doesn't quite make sense why you did, but it is. Now, imagine if you've used self-hypnosis to bypass the night club dormant so you're into that personal laptop computer and you imagine getting to the files where the three-year-old four-year-old five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve i say up to about 13 years of age roughly around puberty is when the nightclub dormant starts its job before then i mean Sig sigmund freud said formative years were zero to seven i actually think it's till uh, puberty um in my experience so we go through this important seeming process whilst holding a big cushion or a pillow and our eyes are closed so that we got a set a multi-sensory experience where we can feel and imagine that we've got the miniature us at three years old on our lap or the four-year-old or the five-year-old and we say to them in our mind's eye i'm sorry please forgive me thank you i love you now that's the hope and oh no things but i've added to that i'm here for you now it's not your fault you're not to blame i'm proud of you everything's going to be okay now these are powerful statements and when the adult part of your mind says these things to that frozen in time because of the traumas three-year-old four-year-old whatever age that particular trauma was you it helps allow the three-year-old to let go of that and make sense of it so the amygdala in the brain can process it and let it go which lets the shit go and helps you to become free and move forward so those two things combined can prove massively life-changing yeah that's just an element there's much more to it than that in there obviously but i'm sorry i'll let you get a word in edgeway julie i'm sorry it's okay it's okay you are my first guest that answered every single question without me asking any of them <laughs> oh okay i don't know if that's like my psychic area of the brain i'm not saying i'm psychic or i've got psychic skill, but i do have these coincidences happen a lot where things happen and i put that down to the inspiration i got when i was young um from watching world famous um spoonbender Uri geller on television shows i used to watch it in awe and think wow that's amazing and i was fortunate enough to meet him when i was in my uh, late teens and he said to me because alex is my real name i'm known as jonathan royal hypnotist because it sounds better when you're introduced at events um and also it kind of um if you do believe in the psychic stuff it's actually got a higher charge more positive numerological numerology uh, association as Jonathan Royal than my birth name Alex Smith so you know um but yeah I met Uri Geller and he um one of the things he said to me was he said to be successful be controversial young Alex be original be different and don't compare yourself to other people and I found that helps a lot with people in therapy it's one of the themes in the book people sometimes think the grass is greener trying to keep up with the Joneses and all that the only person you should be trying to outperform 
or achieve better than is the last best possible version of you. You should only be in competition with yourself to continue being the best possible version, happiest possible version, most relaxed and healthy possible version of you that you can be. The grass isn't greener over there. Well, it might look it, but if you put enough positive seeds into the garden of your mind and keep watering them through repetition of positive self-affirmation, you are worthy, you are good enough. This will occur day by day in every way. I'm getting better and better. Then you know what? The grass will get greener for you. It will grow stronger for you. Stop giving a toss what other people are up to. Some of the most depressed, insecure people I've ever met in my life are the people that to outsiders look like they've got it at all. They've got the millions. But you know what? They don't actually feel happy or fulfilled inside. They're still walking around with that imposter syndrome voice in the head that's actually louder than it is for most people because they're scared of losing it all and scared of getting found out of being some kind of imposter because they're still running negative traumas in their laptop computer. They haven't dealt with those things to let them move forward and be the best possible them. Whereas you've all got the opportunity to deal with those traumas, release that shit, let go of it, install the positive antivirus software, daily program it like a computer, but positively, um, so that you can achieve your goals, dreams, ambitions, and desires in a way that might have seemed ridiculously out of reach before, but if day by day, in every way, you become more positive, happier, healthier, and richer in every nerve fiber tissue and muscle of your body so your reality can change just through the way you think because the difference between somebody achieving something that appears impossible and not achieving it is often just whether they believe it's possible and one of the biggest examples of that is roger bannister the runner who was the first person to run the four minute mile at the time he did that there were numerous athletes with the same physical capability as him the same level of training that had won the same number of running competitions and whatnot. And yet none of them believed it was possible to do. Roger Bannister believed it was and he kept focusing. He said, one day I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. And then one day he did it. By God, he did it. And that very moment, that very second, that very instant, it was reported in the news that he'd done the four minute mile. That was the tiny bit of evidence that all those other athletes at the same level as him, except for what they believe, instantly the flick, it's like flicking a switch in their brain that went, we've seen, heard, and know as a fact, Roger Bannister's now done a four minute mile. We've had the same training as him. We've got the same. The only difference was that Roger Bannister believed they hadn't till that point, but then they did. And over the next week, several of those athletes also did the four minute mile. Over the next month, most of them that were in that same category were able to. And the only thing that had changed was their belief that it was possible. That's how powerful belief is. So, like I just said, I had a lot of uh, questions for you. And as you were going through your story and going through your process <laughs> and explaining what everything is, you literally answered every single question except for one. And oh, this okay. is just because this is my question that yeah. I always ask every single guest because I love how everyone gives a different answer, but all the answers still kind of weave in 
and tie in together. I didn't even notice that they were starting to kind of tie in together and like kind of like knit this beautiful quilt, if you will, until Mm -hmm. I just started going back and listening to all of the episodes with all of my guests from this this season. And I was like, my my main goal, well, one of my goals, I have a lot of goals, is just to like show people how connected we really are. And I explained it um, in a previous show by saying like, you know, we all started on the same playing field. We all started with nothing. And life just kind of gave us all these different things in our mind. I'm a tiny bit cruder about it in the book, but it ties in with the shit gnosis thing. I say, look, we're all born. It's an exception like a genetic or physical disability. Generally speaking, we're all born identical with the same potential within us. We all piss and shit the same, whether we're royalty, famous, rich or poor. The only thing that alters things is largely our beliefs, but also elements of our environment and... um, what opportunities are given us, yeah, can make a difference. But you can make your own opportunities once you become adult. I know as a tiny child, that's not necessarily possible, but it is possible. The slate that was written for you by your environment as a child doesn't have to write the story of the rest of your life. I agree so much. And that is like one of the things that I try to just constantly prove on this show. The, the question that I love to ask is, what does selective hearing mean to you now that's an interesting one because what it means now and has done i can't remember for how long but certainly well over a decade it, it can mean a couple of things but the biggest one is that i have the choice and every viewer and listener of this has that same choice available to them if they so choose but i made a decision well over a decade ago in fact close to 25 about 25 years ago um that decision if anyone wants to elaborate on it more they can look at my website circusofthemind.net which is a stranger than fiction but genuinely true story of how 25 years ago i set out to expose the lies and unethical and illegal techniques of rupert murdoch's uh, now yes i mean rupert murdoch the media mogul who owns TV and radio stations and newspapers around the world, of one of his journalists in England called the fake shape Maza Mahmood, who used to fabricate and make up stories about celebrities. And it, it led to some people getting put in jail. Massive miscarriages of justice because he, he's since been exposed as a, a, a serial liar who hacked people's phones, drugged them, edited fake evidence, and a whole bunch of other things that are explained at circusofthemind.net. But my reason for doing this was I discovered that such things went on. Well, at that time, I wasn't aware of phone hacking. I wasn't aware that some people were drugging people. I wasn't aware of those things. What I was aware of is that the media lied. It's only actually in the past sort of... Well, I heard about phone hacking happening on other people years ago, obviously, because it was all over the world news. But in terms of myself, it's only in the past two years that phone hacking became personal when I got approached by representatives of a media campaign group helping victims of media abuse and they said do you know that in the high court phone hacking trials there's been disclosures made and amongst those materials we found a receipt with your name on it in relation to that story in 1998 that the news of the world ran on you that seems to indicate that your phone may have been hacked or unlawful information gathering news the first i learned of that was in the past uh, 12 to 18 months, which is why I've only recently started legal action against Rupert Murdoch for doing that. But in terms of selective hearing, I decided back then 
in the mid to late 90s when I discovered that there was lots of inaccuracies and errors and fabricated lies in the media to become selective about what sources I did or didn't believe things from. Now, pre-internet days, that meant having to just be incredibly careful. It's become a lot easier now because you can look at alternative news sources. Now, I don't say just look at one. I say look at multiple. Some of the mainstream, sorry, mainstream media and legacy media, look at some of them, but look at them with diff different political viewpoints. And you'll often see they almost paint a very different narrative. Yet if they were truly telling you about the news, surely if they were being purely factual, both outlets would read roughly the same. But there's always an element of bias involved. So the bigger picture is, and with television especially, television adverts or, or propaganda on the news, Fil rather than trying to filter it out, but because there's only so much bandwidth the mind can take that it be then becomes overloaded, like we talked about earlier, and confuses the critical faculty, and then everything gets in, good, bad, or indifferent. You don't want that. Don't watch the television news except under your control. Do not sit there eating your dinner watching the television news. You're going to, part of your brain's occupied eating, thus making you more suggestible to the negativity. If you're going to watch television news, do not be eating, do not be doing anything else. In fact, record it so that if something comes on that's particularly negative, you can fast forward it. Or if your gut instincts start to lurk, trust yourself. After, after the event, People have had experiences in their life. They've gone, if only I trusted what my gut feeling was. Well, start to educate yourself to follow your gut. In the media, there's a saying, if it bleeds, it leads, meaning the more horrific, atrocious, painful or traumatic the story elements have got, whether that's true or elaborated and distorted by the Media Institute, the bigger placement it will get on the front page or the more airtime it will get on the television, radio, news. You don't need that kind of negativity and fear programming into your mind. You want positivity. So my selective hearing is to not watch the television news, not listen to the news on the radio when I'm driving along. I like to prefer to listen to upbeat, positive music rather than news flash. Take control of what messages you are allowing to go into your computer. Because your brain is like a computer. I know it isn't, but metaphorically, if you think of it that way, you control what comes out of it by what you put into it. So selective hearing to me means taking control and doing everything possible to push out negativity and only allowing positivity. That's what it would mean to me. That's really good. Um, okay, so before we close, we, I want to... I want to give you the opportunity to share where everyone can please purchase your book. And okay. then I'm going to share one story with you before we close. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Well, in terms of the book, before I tell you where to get the book from, uh, I mentioned Yuri Gell. He's a massive inspiration to me. I'm going to turn off my um, filter background for the people on the uh, video, because by turning off the background, then things will not disappear or blur into it. So I apologize for draws in the background for people who watch this on video. If you're listening to this, you're going to have to seek out the video on YouTube or social media or wherever, so you can see what I'm banging are booms, uh, which relates to the fact we talked about Uri Geller earlier. And you know what? I only I only need a couple of spoons. So I've got one that's held up in the air and one that's below it. So this is the low one. That's the high one. Julie, would you like low or high? High. You're going to have high. Mm -hmm. So we're going to take the high one and we're going to place that. I'm, I'm trying to buddy it so that you can see it at all times. Um, there, I'm going to place it 
kind of there and lean so hopefully it stays and we'll concentrate on mine for a minute and i want you to think of the color orange like the sun it's a mixture of the colors red and yellow so it's one of the most powerful and that's dangerously starting to fall down my top hopefully it won't i feel as low i'm going to lose that one in a minute um okay and as you concentrate imagine it's as low you're focusing that energy towards the screen and as you do i know the lights my ring lights there are slightly uh what's it in but as we do what happens is it starts to look as low as we rub it it starts oh it's starting to happen it's starting to bend look it is actually starting to bend from where it was before if we take one of the other spoons you can see that's quite a pronounced bend in fact it's a shame you're not here because then i'd have you hold it and you'd feel it's starting to feel really really hot in fact it's so hot that as i do that gently with one finger it looks as low it's starting to almost turn kind of rubbery like it's melting like it's kind of becoming liquidy it's like almost as if you concentrate that heat now it starts to bend and melt starting to bend melt twist melt and then ah becomes that hot it snaps but the weird thing is at the same time quite often if we just look in here yeah, I believe that this has already started. Yeah, it's... Oh, whoa! Whoa, 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 whoa. That was your spoon and that. We'll just take one of the others to compare it to. You can see that is bizarre. Anything's possible when you take action and focus your mind on it. So the first thing to do is go right now to Amazon or any major books seller, but Amazon, if you go there, uh, because that way I'll make about 50 cents to a dollar more commission uh, as it were the book's called shit Gnosis, helping you get over the shit in your life and get your shit together incorporating the f that system which stands for fully unconscious conditioning knowledge therapy honoring absolute transformation it's got tons of them qr code thingies in there as well which are online video interactions and you can find me on all social media with the handle my daughter tells me is the term for it at Royal Hypnotist, which is R-O-Y-L-E-H-Y-P-N-O-T-I-S-T. If you want to become a clinically qualified hypnotherapist, go to ultimatehypnosiscourse.com. And if you want to just have a laugh at me looking like a four-year-old clown with the grey wig and the other stuff we mentioned before, then it's magicalguru.co.uk, which is M-A-G-I-C-A-L-G-U-R-U.co.uk. Thank you very much. Please do me a favour, everybody. Like this, share this, and follow Julie's uh, media channels as well. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been amazing having you here. And I don't, I was like so calm the whole time that you were talking and I was so focused. Like I'm walking away from this conversation, like feeling really good. I know I didn't really participate in this one so much. Well, you did, but, but, you, but you did because you were paying attention and that's the greatest thing you can do. And yeah, when you watch it back, you'll see that I purposely, as I'm doing now, sometimes talk slower than other times. And that's because then your brain that's got a normal pattern of expecting people to go or to always be slow or always be fast. When you put variation into your voice, it helps the other person's mind to go, oh, to keep attention. And when the conscious becomes kind of grasped around that we can kind of get the nightclub dormant to go on a coffee break 
so that the positive messages that are there can go straight into your personal laptop computer. So yeah, I would hope that there'll be a, a ton of people who watch and listen to this, but hopefully we'll leave comments underneath uh, to let Julie know how much better you're already starting to feel just by making that positive decision that today's the day when you're gonna start uh, looking after yourself, looking after number one. Thank you. Thank you so much. So here's here's the story I'm closing on. I was actually oh, going to bring on. this yeah. up. I was going to bring this up in the beginning of the interview. But I had absolutely no idea what like just me applying selective hearing to <laughs> reading about you and things like that. What exactly hypnosis is. Mm -hmm. And as I continue to listen to you today, it's I'm, I just recently learned about neuralistic, uh, neurolinguistic uh, programming, right? Uh huh. So listening to you today, I'm like, it's the same. It's the it same. is. It is. It's the exact same. It it is. All hypnosis is is a name. I actually mm -hmm. say hypnosis doesn't exist. It exists. Oh, there's no such thing as hypnosis the way some people think of it. It exists only in the mind of the believer because it's the positive use of emotional and psychological manipulation to techniques whether they're verbal or non-verbal through body language in truth it's a combination of all those elements so yeah you're bang on it is the same yeah and i in my mind going into this like my selective hearing it wouldn't get off of this so i kept thinking it was someone standing in front of you with a clock you are getting sleepy. If you, if you believe that that is the best way that you would become hypnotized, then I promise you the quickest and best way that you would become hypnotized is if the hypnotist, whoever that was, was to get out a pocket watch and swing it. You know, I have on my desk here that exact reason. If I get clients who want me to do that when I'm with them in person or over Zoom, then I've got the pocket watch and I'll do that cliched thing. If that's what they believe it is, because if that's what they believe, it's easier to take their belief and tell them the right so they feel good which makes it easier to then help them achieve what they want to achieve but that's not necessary it doesn't have to be that it can just be talking to somebody it can be just getting them to breathe deeply and regularly it could be just getting them to hug that cushion and imagine telling the younger them that everything's going to be okay there's so many possibilities yeah so you cleared up that that part of me that just couldn't let go of the clock <laughs> and that being the only thing that I can like make that direct correlation with. And now I, I know so much and I feel so, so much more educated in the subject. So thank you. I learned well, a lot today. You. Hey, thank you for inviting me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. I know it took us a while to get together, but I'm glad that I was able to fit into your schedule and we made this happen. So Everyone, I hope you're, you took away just as much from this conversation as I did. I really enjoyed having you here. And if you ever want to come back, you are more than welcome to visit the Selective Hearing Show again. Thank you very much indeed. And obviously, let me know when this goes out. And I will share the videos and the audios far and wide. And if the viewers and listeners could do the same, it would help me spread the word about shitnosis. Uh, but also, it'll help Julie take her message to more people. Yes. So again, thank you. And everyone listening, I will be back next week. This is Selective Hearing.